0: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Being able to represent my country on the world stage at home. That's been a dream of mine since I was a little kid pumping my legs on swing sets. This has been in my mind for 30 years. I can't believe I finally got to do this. But you know what? There's no damn way I wasn't holding down the fort tonight. I was the last Canadian. I got to protect the house. We can run with anybody in the world Canadians, We're the best country in the world. Nobody's slowing down our Maple Leaf militia. Congratulations on a fantastic performance. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for proper Michael Knox. It is June the 11th of 2023. We are coming off of UFC 289, a pay-per-view that Eric was just telling me off air really reminded him of UFC 189, a real classic. You could uh, it's a toss-up between McGregor, Mendez, uh Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald with what UFC 289 produced for us on Saturday night and one of the most anticipated pay-per-views in years.
1: Does this crack a million buys, Eric, or does it hit five million buys? I think your expectations are a bit low here. This may break records that uh, were previously unfathomable to the combat sports fan.
0: It could break a record. I could very well see this being the least purchased UFC pay-per-view in years, potentially. Like this was a... this. Like sometimes you get some some hits and misses on their pay-per-views but in terms of a five fight lineup uh th- this was one of the thinnest I can recall on a UFC pay-per-view at least during the ESPN era
1: i agree completely i feel like the ufc is has a pretty good track record for their pay-per-view events as weak as their fight night events typically have been in the espn era but this was a, a abysmal lineup uh, lacking in star power lacking in ranked fighters uh lacking in exciting fights this was uh, tell us how you really <laughs> felt about this card eric i <laughs> <laughs> Okay, imagine this. Imagine a month or so ago, Charles Oliveira doesn't get injured, and that fight is not postponed to this card. Imagine this lineup without Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush on this card. I mean, it it was a truly horrendous lineup, and if not for that fight, I don't think there's any possible way to justify this being a pay-per-view. It's probably an ESPN
0: card at, at that point. Like, I don't know... I mean, it is kind of different because back when we would see the odd time, of course, the, uh, the sport killer, Greg Jackson tearing down a, uh, a John Jones title defense in 2011. And it, we, we had some situations where a pay-per-view couldn't go forward, mainly because UFC is on the hook for if this pay-per-view does atrocious, um, it's like we are banking on making money on the pay-per-view in this guaranteed revenue era for UFC. I mean, whether they put on a card like this or next month with two title fights, they're guaranteed a certain amount of revenue from ESPN. And therefore, uh, when you're in a situation like this, a pay-per-view like this, is, I, I we don't have an example of them ever being so thin on a pay-per-view where they lose a key fight and it doesn't go forward as a pay-per-view. This would have been the test if uh, Charles Oliveira was not available for this card because it's – I mean, even with him, we're, we're talking about this potentially being – The least bought of this ESPN era, which I would be very curious to see what kind of business this one does. I'm sure data trending, huge trending uh, through the roof.
1: Yeah, I doubt we're ever going to see the numbers for this one. Um, it's it's as low as it gets, really. I mean, I, I don't want to sound too negative, but I'm also going to be very honest when I say I think this is the least I was anticipating a UFC pay-per-view in, in If anyone
0: is maybe. allowed, it is the guy that slogs through every single apex card from start to finish in the hopes that at the end of the day, they're stocking up these pay-per-views so that I can sit through um, these fights in front of 10 fans in
1: the Apex as Dana says, we can't be afraid, and we've got to get back on the road. And to get back at what you said, despite the quality of the event, this was undoubtedly a money-generating event for the UFC because they get paid that lump sum from ESPN regardless. And guess what? This did great for the live attendance. They did a great number Uh, The fans were excited throughout. I mean, this was a successful event for them. It's one of the biggest uh, pieces of friction I see
0: between the company and its audience is that more and more you get these complaints about these Apex cards or, you know, for a lineup like this where you're asking for $80 in in the U.S. However, the the other side of that argument is, number one, they're. You know their their fight night numbers are still doing very well. When we see like the Show buzz Daily figures of like what these cards are generating from the Apex, that they keep costs incredibly low when you're running your own building. When you have a card like this that generated a 5.14 million dollar gate, and they're guaranteed an amount from ESPN for putting this forward as a pay per view. Like you, as a business. You really don't have a solid argument against this when there are fans showing up for this and their numbers do not appear to be declining and the pay-per-view numbers we will never see. And that's ultimately an ESPN decision of how does ESPN feel about the performances and do they look at this as, okay, this is an off month, but we know we're going to have way more hits per year than we're going to have shows like this on paper.
1: I feel like the big moment of truth will be whenever the UFC ESPN deal is renewed and when we get the numbers for that. But until then, we don't get much of that information anymore, not like we used to pre the ESPN deal. So uh, as interesting as it is to discuss, we just we aren't going to find out those numbers. Uh, Although I think I I don't think it's crazy to say like this was an extremely poor pay-per-view in terms of purchases, we can assume.
0: Yeah, and at a time when prices go higher, I I just – I cannot imagine even the ardent – like the the UFC consumer that puts aside $80 every month, this would be the one where it's like, "Mm, this one hurts. This one really hurts to put my credit card down for. Uh, But all that said, there there was news – Significant news coming out of this card, and we will talk about the fight, although that's going to take us very briefly to recap. The big news coming out of tonight's show was after Amanda Nunez dominated, and I do not say that lightly, dominated arena Eldana. She announced her retirement at the age of 35, walking away from the sport with a record of 23 and 5, and probably puts to rest the UFC women's featherweight division, whatever that division still entailed in 2023, but... I think for many would be the consensus greatest female fighter of all time.
1: Yeah, I think she's left a legacy that's pretty hard to deny, given that the other fighters in that conversation, she holds victories over. I mean, she beat Chris Cyborg. She beat Valentina Shevchenko twice. She beat uh, Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate. Uh, Her only loss really towards uh, it throughout her title reign was to Juliana Pena, who she dominated in the rematch. So it was just an unbelievable run, really, from 2016 onwards for Amanda Nunes, who is one of the most dominant champions we've seen across uh, male or female divisions. Could lay claim to the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships with wins over both holders. Uh, perhaps that will be in her future. She's teased it before.
0: That's it. Her and her and Nina Ansaroff, they can make uh, the pivot after baby number two arrives. But this announcement was made after the fight. Um I've never seen someone so ecstatic to be announcing their retirement. It felt like this was not I'm sure this is something that has weighed with her a long time. She cited her mother wanting her to get out of uh getting out of the fight. So really it's it's the mothers of the sport, Eric, that are uh taking all these champions away at their peak. That's who Day- is Dana White is going to have the uh the issue with is these mothers out there wanting their children to stop fighting. But yeah, just stated that she's walking away and this is the first time since 2006, there are no Brazilian champions in the UFC and pretty much told the Brazilian fighters to get get up and take these titles and uh, secure the, the future of Brazilian MMA in the UFC. But, I mean, we always have the caveat of MMA retirements. I'm not going to say this is a, a lock that Amanda Nunez is uh, gone forever, but this is someone that, from all accounts, she has made quite a bit of money in these big years and I just don't know what even draws you back at this point. If money is not a factor in all of this, that this is one I could see uh, sticking, but you're always kind of uh, hesitant to go that far when it comes to a retirement. But at 35 years of age, th- this very well, I mean, this ends, you cannot go off on a stronger note than this fight was. She looked as dominant as ever in this fight over five rounds.
1: Yeah, I'm always somewhat hesitant to believe MMA retirements, and especially when a fighter goes out on top. But in the case of Amanda Nunes, she's been talking about retirement for for quite a long time now, a number of years. And really, if it's not financially motivated, what is there possibly left that could entice her to return? She has beaten absolutely everybody. She's been a champion for years now of two divisions. In fact, uh, the featherweight division at this point only exists because of her presence. And I I don't know what that big fight would be. A third fight against Juliana Pena or Valentina Shevchenko. I, I don't think those are big fights for amanda nunez anymore and uh yeah i wouldn't be surprised if this one stuck yeah um for amanda nunez
0: like her career started back in 2008 the interesting trivia note is that both her and cyborg lost their first pro fights and then went on to become the uh the two best women of their generation and of all time so for amanda nunez i guess maybe uh there is outstanding losses she could avenge to uh Alexis Davis, Sarah Delelio, and Kat Zingano that are out there for her, Eric. And beyond that, I don't know if there is much that would pull her back. Eh, despite the best uh the best uh, attempts by Juliana Peña on Twitter uh to lure her back. And uh I, I don't think Amanda Nunez will be too uh too too moved by her campaign.
1: Yeah, I could just see Juliana Pena sitting there in the audience with the dollar signs just fading away from her eyes as she realized that trilogy bout against Nunez is out the window now. But She
0: seemed very upset about this decision for her to retire when, I mean, by all accounts, like she will be fighting for this vacant title. And it's only a question of if her opponent is Raquel Pennington or someone else if Pennington is not available. Like, Juliana Pena, if anything, this uh, opens the door uh, more so than... I mean, certainly she would have, by process of elimination, probably been the next in line for uh, a fight with Amanda Nunez. But after that 277 fight last summer, I mean, I would
1: not have been favoring Peña in the third fight. Oh, not at all. Their rematch was a completely one-sided five-round affair. It's It, it didn't seem as though Juliana Peña had anything to offer Amanda Nunez in that rematch. Um, I do assume she will be fighting for the vacant title in, in the near future. I, I don't know who that opponent will be. Perhaps it will be Raquel Pennington. Perhaps maybe Valentina Shevchenko will move back up now that Amanda Nunes, who she had two losses to, is out of the picture. I don't know, but uh, the division's wide open. I can certainly see a lot
0: of, of flyweights now looking at bantamweight as a wide open division. And I mean, I don't even know how many featherweights you even consider as active um, that would I mean, in all likelihood, I cannot fathom that division continuing. I mean, it was holding on by a thread for these years, and it was pretty much just a uh, an honorary title for Amanda Nunez to hold and has not defended this title in years. There's no division to support it. They don't even have a top 10 rankings for this division. So I think the featherweight division is probably retiring with Amanda Nunez.
1: Yeah, the division at this point pretty much consisted of Nunez, Jermaine Durandamine, and Holly Holm. Uh, Jermaine Durandamine and Holly Holm both fight at bantamweight as well. And Jermaine's going to be out for a significant amount of time. I believe she's having a child. Holly Holm is focused at bantamweight. I think we have seen the last of the featherweight division in the UFC. Jo- John, why don't you go over all of your favorite women's featherweight fights uh, in the promotion? Well, uh, there what was are your the, top five? There was the Norma Dumont run. Uh, that, that
0: was, uh, something there was, yes, Holly Holm, uh, navigating to try and get back to a a championship. These were all the pillars of this 145 pound women's division that was essentially created for Chris Cyborg and then Chris Cyborg left and we had Amanda Nunez who at least beat her, uh, before Cyborg left and got the whole two belts. It was nice for the posters.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, that, that Chris Cyborg versus Amanda Nunez fight was the, uh, The big fight that justified the division's existence, I suppose, but uh, extremely forgettable and uneventful stretch, unfortunately, for a division that UFC never really got behind, to be fair. Well, completely forgettable is the recap
0: of this fight between Amanda Nunez and Arena Aldana. If this fight is remembered, it will be remembered as Amanda Nunez's last fight. And for Arena Aldana, I mean, I I, I don't want to be uh, too negative on her, but I mean, this is one of the more one-sided main events you're ever going to see in in mixed martial arts where it just felt eric that arena aldana whatever her game plan was it was not executed and at the very least this was a the the odds had uh, aldana as a plus 275 underdog I thought that was, you know, maybe those were fair odds to some. It certainly didn't feel like it once this fight began, because if you're going to give Aldana any opportunity for success, it was going to be on her feet, and there was no answers for Nunez. In this opening round, it gave you a preview of this fight that Aldana was in passenger mode. It was like she had she had won front row tickets to an Amanda Nunez sparring session, and she got to be in the cage with her for the sparring session. There was so little from her. And this was, like, from start to finish, outside of a counter that the announcers leaned on as Aldana's one hope. She landed a counter shot at at one point in this fight. There was nothing to write home about for Irina Aldana. Very flat performance.
1: No, Aldana just never got going throughout this fight. As you said, if she had one chance, it would. she does have genuine power for someone in the women's bantamweight division, but she never got going. She never really went on the attack. The few shots that she landed throughout this 25-minute fight were all just the result of Nunes getting a bit reckless as Aldana wasn't offering her anything on the feet. It, it was a, a very poor performance from the challenger. Yeah,
0: I mean, to go through all of these rounds would just be redundant, but I mean, of the things that really stood out to me, Eric, it was the ease at which Nunez was able to land on her and the takedowns. There was zero defense from Aldana, and it felt like the early takedowns, it was like Nunez just toying with her to see how easily she could take her down and would not even follow up and get on top. It was more so just an exercise to see what kind of resistance am I facing here and realizing the answer is none.
1: Yeah, interestingly, throughout the first couple of rounds, Aldana was not even attempting to defend the takedowns. She kept her hands like uh, raised high towards her head in an attempt to block the, uh, the the punches that would come from Nunez after feinting the single leg attempt. But whenever Nunez actually did complete the, the takedown, she, she succeeded because there was no defense from Aldana. As the fight wore on, Aldana actually did start to defend the takedown attempts and did a bit better in that regard, but it was... It was just a very puzzling strategy, especially when you consider the fact that Nunez is a a very skilled grappler. Well, that's one of Aldana's weaknesses as a fighter. So uh, puzzling game plan.
0: Nunez uh, scored six of 13 takedowns. And this stat that they did bring up on the broadcast, uh, Amanda Nunez landed 142 significant strikes over five rounds. Arena Aldana threw 143 significant strikes so you had Nunez basically landing as many as Aldana threw over those five rounds Um, to me there were a few uh, examples of potential 10-8 rounds I gave the fourth and fifth 10-8s for Nunez the fifth uh, she outstruck Aldana 19-1 to and it was just Utter, utter control in these, the, the fourth round, she could not miss on Aldana. And it was just so many big strikes and ending it with a spinning back fist. And then in the fifth, she gets her sixth takedown and works to mount, smothered her and is peppering her with shots from top position. So I, I scored this fight 50 to 43, as did one of the judges. The other two scored it 50 44 for Amanda Nunez. So, uh, whatever your scorecard is, um, I was hoping just for our sake, Eric, that someone, one of these judges would have given a round to Aldana. So we could have just been in utter uh, shock. But even even that could not occur. There was no way to even sneak in a bad
1: round for Aldana. No, it it would have been truly impossible to to score a round. (laughs) What's a weekend without a a judging moment? Come on. I, I feel like we didn't get one on this card. Maybe when we go through it you'll refresh my memory, but I, 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 there
0: were no bad scores that come to mind for me. It was like this was a pretty outside of some fans falling off a balcony, like this was a pretty controversy free uh, UFC
1: card. It really did feel that way. Uh, I hey I, I scored the fight fifty to forty four for Nunez. It, it was as dominant as it gets and one last or perhaps one last big win for Amanda Nunez on her way out. Aldana is the same
0: age as Amanda Nunez. She is 35. Um, What's interesting is that she's coming off two wins uh, going into this fight, neither of them at 135 pounds. These were catchweight fights that she had. This was such a performance that I, even with uh, Amanda Nunez out of the picture, can Aldana, uh, does she have the time to rebuild herself from such a devastating loss such as this one?
1: Uh, yes, of course. She could fight for the title in her next fight and win. That is the level that this division is at following the absence of Amanda Nunes. Is Would Irina Aldana be a terrible underdog against Juliana Pena? I, I don't think so. Or Raquel Pennington? If she could win those fights, uh, the division is truly wide open, in my opinion, no? It is. It's certainly going to give
0: life to uh, many bantamweights that were just on the fringes at this point. It. It brings up an interesting question. If you're Valentina Shevchenko, who has just lost the flyweight title, does she make another run at 135? Does Holly Holm have enough time to fight for another title uh, to, to your uh, approval? Oh, I'm just realizing
1: it now. That Holm will be on it. that short. Yeah. Holm
0: fighting uh, Juliana Pena could absolutely happen in the, in the next fight. Like oh, if Raquel man. Pennington is not in there. I could certainly see Holly Holm getting
1: that call. 100%. Holly Holm will be your next UFC women's bantamweight champion. I'm calling it now. Uh you know she is she is better than the majority of the women in this division. Amanda Nunes was the one thing keeping her from another title reign. Uh yeah, uh, state of the division.
0: Yes. Is is this was this fight uh the level of like a worst fight of the year or was this like a separate category? Was this
1: like a bad fight for you or just a bad performance? um i I would have to chalk it up more as a bad performance whenever a fight is just like very one-sided as this one was i never really consider it for worst fight of the year because i I didn't think amanda Nunes. it was a frustrating fight to watch but never did i feel like this was a boring fight i was still
0: engaged for the 25 minutes but it was the dominance of one fighter and the inability of the other to combat it in any meaningful way
1: it was a bit on the dull side, but when I think of the worst fights of the year, I think of fights where neither fighter is active. And Amanda Nunes was always active throughout this fight. Like I, I can't even compare it to a Rose Namajunas Carla Sparza two type fight. It was nowhere near at that level. So it was certainly forgettable, but I don't think it ever hit that uh, "I hate my life" level.
0: Well, we hope we hope we hope it didn't reach that level, Uh, nor did it for the unofficial main event of the card. And that was Charles Oliveira rebounding after his loss to Islam Makachev last October after an 11 fight win streak and taking on Benil Dariush. And this was a big fight for Dariush to hopefully break through that glass ceiling after winning eight straight fights, going back to November of 2018 and Olivera immediately introduces a head kick that Dariush eats. And then Olivera pulls him down to the mat and it's Dariush in his guard. And Darius is doing very well, landing with strikes in the guard. And then after several ground strikes from Olivera, uh, sorry, it's uh, once they get back to their feet, It's a follow-up head kick by Oliveira that Dariush partially lands with his hand, but still gets through, and then these two right hands put Dariush down to his knees, and that is when Oliveira follows up with ground strikes and hammer fists, stopping Dariush at 410 of the first round, and Oliveira gets his 20th finish finish in the UFC, and a huge win for uh, Charles Oliveira, who... Had previously fought in Canada four times. This was his first win in Canada. Uh, Saskatoon's favorite son, uh, Charles Oliveira, as they booked a card in 2015 in Saskatoon and said, you know what? Perfect market for Charles Oliveira and Max Holloway. Saskatoon.
1: It's that long term booking because all these years later, I think that Charles Oliveira and Max Holloway may be the two most popular non Canadian fighters in the country. Let me Oliveira tell you Oliveira was so
0: popular in the so Vancouver popular crowd. Popular. It was insane
1: the reaction he got coming out he like a true was,
0: superstar level
1: reaction. He was by far the most popular fighter on this entire card, which featured numerous Canadians and one of the greatest fighters of all time in the main event. But it was Charles Oliveira who got the huge reaction from this audience who were just overjoyed to see him win this fight uh he it's crazy to think that like not that long ago Charles Oliveira kind of felt like just another guy in the middle of the pack which is to say he was always entertaining if you were a hardcore fan you'd always see his name like on the middle of a fight night card be like oh that should be fun Charles Oliveira in 2023 is one of the most absolute popular fighters on the entire roster and uh, just his career turnaround has been remarkable and
0: probably as much of a guarantee of a action fight that you're going to get among several uh, of the lightweights and with Oliveira I mean obviously his focus is a rematch with Islam Makachev that he called out after the fight and I I don't think it's crazy to see this guy right back into that championship mix at at this point but this was a very important win for Oliveira to uh it's it's a very competitive lightweight division I don't know if a rematch with Makachev goes any differently but Olivera made a strong a campaign with this performance to earn that rematch that I, I'm i sure he would be on a short list, I guess depending on our, our BMF title holder uh, coming out of the end of July when Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje have their rematch.
1: Indeed. I think if you get a big win from Gaethje or Poirier in that one, they may bypass Olivera simply because they have yet to fight Islam Makachev, but uh, Charles Olivera is your leading contender for the time being. Uh, you know, Benil Dariush was the favorite headed into this fight. He had won eight consecutive fights and against some solid opponents, but it, it did surprise me to see Charles Oliveira as the underdog going into this one. Presumably, just due to his last loss to Makachev, because I mean, both of them are skilled grapplers, both of them are heavy hitters, but Oliveira is just a far more dynamic fighter on the feet, and and you saw that play out here. They spent maybe less than 30 seconds on the feet throughout this fight. And in those 30 seconds, Olivera just completely overwhelmed Darius with his pressure and dynamic offense. Uh, It was a mismatch on the feet.
0: It's Olivera is one of those fighters that I think you need to exercise extreme patience in the hopes that he will come to you and make some kind of error. But if you get, it's very hard to avoid his style of fight. And once you succumb to that, it's uh, this is the outcome where he just, brings you in and this guy will go to the brink of death and you think the fight is over and boom, he can pull something out. And in this case, um wasn't even in all that trouble on, the, on the ground. And then once you got to the feet, it was, you know, Dariush, uh, you know, he was just overwhelmed. Once Oliveira connects, he is just going from A to B to C. It is lightning fast that he makes those transitions in a fight. The other big fight that we could have uh coming out of this weekend is that Michael Chandler, Uh, might get bumped because could you see Conor McGregor's comeback fight being against the Miami Heat mascot at a, at a date to be determined after if if people miss this, Conor McGregor was at the Miami Heat Denver Nuggets game and did a skit with the Heat mascot and legit sent this dude to a hospital (laughs) with a shot. And um, I just don't know if this is going to go down on his sure dog record or not. And this also comes before he's reentered the USADA pool. So this could be, um, a disputed finish for the mascot.
1: Uh, just another absolutely insane story from this uh, Conor McGregor saga. Um, his first win in a few years here. So he's riding the momentum of this one into that possible fight with michael chandler we don't even know if that fight's actually happening right now it's, uh what a, it's all what a very disaster. strange yeah it's, have you watched any of tough i watched no, the first episode. I, no i'm not watching tough anymore you can't sell me on it anymore i'm out i'm gone i quit i tap it's over well, it was uh, yeah.
0: I got one episode in, and I was that—that that was all for me this uh, this season.
2: Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands on. Off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.
0: We move on to uh, this was a huge night for the Canadian fighters. And listen, Canadian MMA it, it has been in a funk for many years, but there were you know I I think people are going to get way ahead of themselves of a Canada is back kind of vibe. I think there were some great performances. um Mike Malott kind of leading the way here against Adam Fugit and. Uh, Adam Fugit, not exactly a household name, and uh, this fight, though, uh, it went uh, a minute six of the second round, and Mike Malott had come into this uh, fight with five wins in a row, and after the first round, it was a right-hand left-hook combo that drops Fugit and gets a mounted guillotine, taps out Fugit, and Mike Malott improves to 10-1-1 it was the bookends of this fight as well that are going to be most remembered because when Mike Malott walked out inside of uh, Rogers Arena, the barricade where you see the fans overlooking the fighters as they walk out from the back, it caved in and these fans fell down and this could have been a disaster and apparently no one was hurt, thankfully, but this looked insane if you were catching this on the broadcast and they did bring it up on commentary and then after the fight, Mike Malott gave. Uh, for those that uh, remember decades ago, when Molson came out with that I Am Canadian ad that you could not go a commercial break here and not here, Mike Malott gave the updated version of this. It was the most patriotic <laughs> Canadian speech. This place was going nuts for him. It was a great night for
1: uh, Mike Malott. Uh, You know what? I I am glad Mike Mallott found his way onto this main card because he has been championing championing Canada and mixed martial arts and specifically the UFC returning to Canada after a lengthy absence. So I'm glad he found his spot on this card. And you know what? After Charles Oliveira, he might have been the biggest star to this crowd. And, you know, he has a lot going for him. He's an entertaining fighter. He's charismatic. Good looking dude and he picked up the win in pretty exciting fashion here. Don't get me wrong, this is Mike Malott still has a long way to go before we're even looking at him fighting ranked competition. This was a fairly low level fight for a UFC main card, but uh, nonetheless a big moment for the man.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very rare that people pump the brakes on performances like this. And yeah, I think you have to put it into perspective of who he was fighting here, but it was a great performance. He did as well as he could. And honestly, it's this speech that I think is going to be, uh, most remembered from people afterwards. It was, it was a great promo afterwards and using that for all it was worth. Dan Ige against Nate the train Landwehr. This one went, uh, the full distance here. This was one of many decisions on the card. Ige was just, uh, such a, superior striker in in every way here and i mean Landwehr is very tough but ege read him so well uh connecting with jabs uh going to the body and then uh there was a huge left hook that rocked Landwehr at the end of the first round. And then in the second, Ige dropped him with this big left hand at the end of the round. And uh, I, went, I went 10-8 in the second round because it looked like Landwehr was just about done. Uh, he did connect with an kick though, that did stop uh, Ige, uh, at least from continuing. And then in the third round, uh, it was more jab work from Ege and puts Landwehr up against the fence and lands more elbows. The third was certainly the the closest of the rounds that two of the judges gave to Landwehr, but they had a 30, 27 and a pair of 29, 28 scores. So Dan Ige improves to 17 and six, and he had lost three of his last four. So a necessary win for Danny gay in the always tough featherweight division.
1: I scored the fight 30, 27 for Ige. Um, You know, Oliveira Dariusha's side, this is probably the fight I looked at on this card saying, oh, that should probably be an entertaining one. It didn't quite live up to those expectations for me. Uh, Landwehr was very hesitant in the first round. He, he opened up a bit more after getting cracked by uh, Ige a few times, but, but I thought it was largely a fairly decisive win for Dan Ige. Um, uh, a much-needed win for Ige. Two in a row now. Uh, he might have an opportunity to fight up in the rankings again, but... This is just kind of what he needs at this point to get back on track.
0: Yeah, and, and that is one of the criticisms of this card. Like, a lot of times on these pay-per-views, we talk about, you know, sort of uh, the impact on the title picture or rising up to contendership status. Outside of the top two fights, like, it, it, it's a it's a pretty big drop in terms of this. Like, we're talking about Dan Ige one being one of the few ranked guys in his respective division at 13th coming into this fight against unranked uh, Nate Landwehr. And then a, paddle, a battle of unranked fighters, Mark Andre Barrio taking on Eric Anders, Eric's guy.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I could not believe that this fight made it onto a UFC main card. Uh, when when I saw it, it lined up, I, I was in complete shock. Uh, well, we, we can get into the action because you know what? It was a, a fun fight, but th- this was just a reality check for the state of this card, seeing this on the main card of a pay-per-view event, an event that you have to pay like $80 for. This was an $80 fight, um, On my card, they split the first
0: two rounds. Uh, The judges all scored it for for Barrio, but I thought I thought Andrews did enough in the second. This second round featured uh, Barrio kicking him low twice. Although the first one they did replay, and we got the uh, Joe Rogan was not on the broadcast, but he wasn't spirit as they questioned the uh, the legitimacy of this low blow once they saw the instant replay. And then the second one, it it, it hit him right in the rocks. And Jaron Vallel called for a replay, and it was almost like you needed the Jeopardy music over Jaron Vallel as he was contemplating whether to take a point or not and they're trying to get into his head and he's just standing there and he opts not to take the point away and the the broadcaster stated right call right call it's it's illegal to hit a guy in the
1: balls but it has to be at least three times it's the unwritten rule isn't it three strikes and maybe one hard warning um i didn't feel strongly about it either way it's it is what it was because that first one really didn't connect but uh whatever
0: <laughs> regardless of how you scored the second round it really didn't matter because barrio 100% won the third round just uh de- destroying him here with, with strikes um there was an elbow uppercut combo and Anders had slowed down significantly and a big big round for barrio so uh it was 29 28 on my card but all three judges scored at 30 27 for barrio who uh got very brazen eric did you hear him on his promo afterwards he he promoted uh some some gambling site which i i don't know if ufc is probably crazy about those shout outs on their post-fight promos
1: uh no i i don't think they are but they'll live because it's not like anybody watched this pay-per-view anyway so he's (laughs) a
2: great
1: point by eric (laughs) hey listen i thought this was you know probably the most fun fights maybe on the card um it I don't know how much this win is going to do for Marc-Andre Barriou, but he has won three of his title last fight. four now. Uh, a title fight against two? I don't know. Um, not, not for the middleweight championship. No, I don't think so. Uh, nonetheless, he got his arm raised. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> his arm was in fact <laughs> raised and uh
0: this is uh his fifth win in the, in the UFC which also goes against five losses and a no contest so uh Barrio, uh 500 here in the UFC uh, getting the win over eric anders and that was your your pay-per-view main card now you can have whatever opinion you want about the quality you got of, of these fights uh people are not um they cannot predict the future. So when you're sitting down on a Saturday afternoon, you're looking at these five fights and determining: Is this worth my eighty dollars? And I would say the vast majority of people would probably say it is not. And I cannot imagine that this was uh, all that attractive of a card on paper to the the public. But we'll go into uh, some some quick notes here on the the prelims um, that that aired earlier in the evening. We had a no contest between Nasraddin Imavov and Chris Curtis in the second round. Uh, time is called after there's an accidental collision of heads and Curtis is cut above his right eye. And he said the words you just can't say in front of an official. I can't see. And he said it twice and he was protesting, not wanting this fight waved off. Once you say you can't see that is the unofficial it's off. They cannot reasonably allow the fight to continue. Once you've said you cannot fight and ju- judging on the cut that we could see afterwards, this was a terrible cut that he had over his eye and probably was the right call to end this 304 of the second round. It's a no contest because they were only in these uh, the early portion of the second round. So not not a whole lot to say here other than Ima Bob was looking good in this fight up until the collision of heads.
1: Yeah, this the fight was um, a pretty solid one for Imov. He became the first fighter to take Chris Curtis down here. I thought his height and reach advantage really dictated the bout. He was cracking Curtis on his way in. And Curtis wasn't really having much success offensively. He, he would attack the body on occasion, which was his best work. But he couldn't find his target whenever he was swinging for the head. Um, an unfortunate result for both guys. Chris Curtis, whose last fight against Calvin Gastelum, was also kind of decided by a headbutt in the second round. Um, obviously not the way he wanted it to go. And even worse for Imovov, who was likely on his way to a big win here. So uh, unfortunate ending for both guys. Are you aware how much of Chris Curtis you've seen over the last two years? This uh,
0: guy, this was his fifth fight since last June. So oh, in, my one, God. In, a, in a 12-month period, he fought five times, including last night. And in 2021, he fought six times. Action so, man indeed lives up to his uh, nickname. Well, this is the kind of guy UFC is never going to cut because he is always going to answer that call and be ready to fight if his body can hold up. But I was blown away. Like you don't, you don't often see these level of schedules continue beyond like a small period of time like we saw uh, Kevin Holland during the pandemic. Miranda Maverick against Jasmine Jazduvicius and th- this was uh Jasmine's I thought the fight of her career. Um after a f- this first round, I don't even know how you score this fight. It was pretty much came down to Maverick 1 because she attempted an armbar and Jazduvicius defended this armbar for the rest of the round which prompted Daniel Cormier to talk about the um the ability to just take your knee and drive it onto her face and whether that would be legal or not. And that was the round. So, I mean, the the slimmest of margins that you give this uh, towards Maverick by default. Uh, but Jazz DeVicius in the second round, um, she was uh, stuffing takedowns. She got half guard, mounted the back, and then applied a, a body triangle. That was a big round for her. And then in the third, just a huge flurry of strikes and did not get tired from this. She would close the distance, throwing elbows, knees, and then goes for the single leg. Uh, Maverick goes for a single leg and ends up on bottom. And it's a strong, ra- uh, another strong round for Jazz DeVishius, who won by unanimous decision 29 28 on all three I, judges' cards.
1: Yeah, I had the same scorecard. The first round of this fight was absolutely miserable, and I was terrified for what we were going to get <laughs> throughout the next two rounds. But uh Davicius, she really came on after that one. And uh, she looked great on the feet as well as she was able to stop all of Maverick's takedowns, taking top position repeatedly. I, I thought this was easily her best performance in the UFC, and she'll probably be a ranked opponent after uh, or a ranked fighter after beating Maverick here, who I believe was the 15th ranked flyweight. Yeah, and, you know, a minus 245 favorite
0: was Miranda Maverick, who has looked very good up, up until this point. Even the fight with, um, oh, who who was it that I'm uh Aaron Blanchfield, perhaps? No, the uh, Macy Barber. That mm. was the fight she lost by decision that everyone seemed to have thought that Maverick won. So I think even even when you look at her record, I think it's somewhat uh d- deceiving. But this is a great fight for Jazz DeVicius. Eamon's the hobby against Origi Lung. And Eamon's a hobby. If there's the big negative for him, it's that this guy just does not fight on any kind of frequency. If you go and look at his record, I mean it is um he he has not fought twice in the same year since 2017, and he's coming off um, a decision win last July. So this was his uh, his yearly fight, and he made short work of Orichi Lung connecting with this left hand, and he drops him, and he thinks it's over. He's ready to celebrate, and uh, referee John Cooper was like, I don't know, he's got a pulse. So Zahabi had to just drill him with more strikes, and it's over at a minute four, and... The headline news, Eamon Zahabi wants to fight in the fall, and he wants a Rolex from Drake. So uh, maybe we will get a second fight from Zahabi. But man, I, I don't think you can criticize the performance too much. I mean, he just rocked him here. And this was among the uh, the six Canadian victories on the card.
1: I think it's more likely that Zahabi will get that Rolex from Drake than fight again this year. But nonetheless, a, a big win for Zahabi, who is just the hero of these prelims after a number of decisions. So uh, a big win for him. There were some long fights on, on
0: this, uh, uh, undercard and early prelims, uh, including, uh, Kyle Nelson winning by unanimous decision against Blake Builder. Uh, Builder won the first round and then Nelson came back to win the second and third on my card. Uh, we saw Nelson, uh, kick him low. There were plenty of, uh, groin strikes in the, in this card. Nelson throws then a head kick and, uh, lands hard, buckles Builder's legs. And then in the third, it's just Nelson with the superior cardio and he, uh, caught him with this sneaky head kick and then um ended up winning it i would say 1 and 3 were close enough rounds um that you you can debate but Kyle Nelson got the unanimous decision 30 27 twice 29 28 and Nelson's first win since September of 2019 thoughts
1: eric a fight i mean nelson uh <laughs> Builder was a bit quicker than nelson and you can see that early in the fight but nelson was just the heavier hitter and Every time he landed a shot, it it was a difference maker in this one, kind of earning him the rounds towards each of the three rounds, in my opinion. But it, it was a it was a fight. It was a prelim fight, and uh, Nelson got his arm raised. Not too much more to say.
0: And if you set your alarm for the early prelims, uh, you were privy to Steven Urseg and David Dvorak. That. Uh, urseg who is a making his debut he had won eight in a row and he was the eternal flyweight champion in uh, western australia that's the name of the promotion not that he is just the uh, the flyweight champion since uh, its inception and he won the unanimous decision here 30 27 29 28 29 28 um i had dvorak winning the the first round but then uh urseg um He came back. He hit a head kick, applied a guillotine, but the neck was somewhat loose. So Ursig adjusted, but Dvorak was able to escape. And then in the third, uh, Dvorak got a takedown, but really did nothing with it. And it's Ursig with a knee to the body and strikes at the end to win. So a good debut for Ursig, who was throwing a performance of the night bonus for this performance. Dana was
1: very high on this guy. One of the bigger wins on the card, I would say, taking this fight on such short notice and beating a ranked fighter here. Uh, Urseg looked really good against a tough opponent. Uh, He's he's probably going to take Dvorak's spot in the flyweight rankings, and I imagine he's going to continue fighting that strong opposition at flyweight right now. So we're going to continue seeing this guy against the division's top fighters, and I'm interested to see what his ceiling is. And our opening fight, it was a Diana Belbiza and Maria Oliveira
0: with Belbiza winning by unanimous decision on scores of 30-27 twice and a 29-28 round. Uh, I had Belbiza winning all three rounds and, um, you know, in the end, Belbiza stunned her with this left hand in the, in the third round. And then Oliveira did connect with a flying knee. Uh, but then she just kept trying them and Belbiza had, had read her and landed a head kick, uh, near the end. Um, I thought you won all three rounds here. It was a fine opener, but also one that I, I'm sure will be uh, forgotten by most
1: after, afterward. Uh, unless, Eric, you have... The floor is yours to share your your breakdown and thoughts on this one. Forgotten by most, including Eric Margot, who doesn't remember much other than the fact that he scored this fight 30-27 for Beta. Well, there you have it. So the bonuses that were handed out, it was Marc-Andre Barrio and Eric Anders
0: getting the fight of the night bonus and... The UFC, after announcing, you know, record profits, record revenue, uh, they gave out three performance of the night bonuses for 50 grand each. Uh, the The performance of the night bonuses that are not affected by uh, inflation that have not increased in all these years, Charles Oliveira, Mike Mallot, and Stephen Erseg getting fifty k bonuses and uh, Dana White um, didn 't have a whole lot of news to share afterwards at the press conference beyond uh he 's not making any fights till tuesday and they 're coming they 're coming back to Canada and when asked everywhere they 're going everywhere in Canada, Toronto, Montreal, Nunavut, Northwest Territories um eric's net, <laughs> eric's uh, 705 everywhere they're going everywhere i'm looking forward to that fight northwest territory.
1: Bay? oh fight night thunder bay yeah that is they're gonna pack that arena of like 200 people no doubt uh, uh you know what? I, I can't really fault dana white for not having much to say after this one because uh, i don't think we have much to say either it was just kind of an uneventful card what would you give this card on a scale of one to ten i know yeah. expectations were super low for for this one I don't know I, a two maybe I, I I can't like if this was a fight night event my skill would be totally different here but considering this is an event that you're asking people to pay eighty dollars for uh, it's a two Charles Oliveira gets that two on his own ability because w- without him this would have been one of the worst cards that I I, I can recall this was as low as it gets for a pay per view event this this card affected Eric so much he told
0: me John UFC two ninety. I, I need it off. I just can't come back this quickly for, for a pay-per-view recap. So, um, scheduled to be determined next month when the UFC is back on pay-per-view, but Eric will be in the bunker carrying out the, uh, he is on the UFC apex beat where they are back next week for Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannoneer and Armand Sarukian against Joaquim Silva. Um, which honestly, I mean, you you, you could argue there's some fights on here that could have been uh, helped out this card a, a, a little bit. But um, that's also being extremely kind to this card that has a lot of fights in front of a, a dead atmosphere that is the UFC
1: Apex. These cards are so long. They are seven, eight hours long. And this is a late one, Saturday. man. This is like a main card
0: at 10, which at least we've been getting into this pattern of like seven o'clock start times so for the main card. This is one that will go to like one in the morning.
1: It's absolutely brutal. The length of these these horrible cards that nobody cares about. Having 14 fights at the UFC Apex, Apex facility with like four ranked fighters is... It's just content. It's just throwing out content. I mean, I don't know how any fight fans just can't be absolutely burnt out at this point especially if you're trying to keep up with other promotions too like the pfl ran this week uh one ran this weekend uh there there was boxing some big boxing fights uh there's just a lot and that card next week will go head to head with collision oh yeah it will um i wonder what will pull the bigger number Uh, i'm guessing the ufc uh we will see.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know how well this apex card will do. We will see. But uh, June 24th, they, they are going on the road for a fight night card. They're going to Jacksonville, Florida. This is a great main event. It's Ilya Toporia, who looked phenomenal in his last fight, taking on Josh Emmett. Um, that's a very good fight. Macy Barber taking on uh, Amanda Hebas. And the next pay-per-view, as we mentioned, is International Fight Week. UFC 290 from the T-Mobile Arena. We have Alexander Volkanovski against Yair Rodriguez for the Featherweight Championship. Brandon Moreno, who will be at the next Triple Mania event the week after this, defending his flyweight title against Alexandra Pantoja. Robert Whitaker against Dricus Duplessis. Jalen Turner against Dan Hooker. Bo Nickel against Sean Gore. The retirement of Robbie Lawler as he takes on Nico Price and a very good undercard fight. Sean Brady against Jack Della madalena are among the um the key fights on this ufc 290 card so at least things are looking up for the next pay-per-view
1: yeah a phenomenal card honestly that's pretty much everything you'd want from ufc ufc pay-per-view everything we did not get here
0: well on that note you can always follow eric marcotte and he painstakingly goes through every single ufc card up at postwrestling.com and follow the man on twitter eric marcotte 705 He's in the Discord 24-7, taking all of your questions, uh, interacting with uh, Brandon from New Jersey and many others. Everyone is just fascinated with the life and times of Eric
1: Marcotte. And uh, will you be coming down to Toronto in several weeks? Uh, it's only like a, a week and a half away now. Yeah, I will be in Toronto for a Forbidden Door and Forbidden Poor. Looking forward to it.
0: That is right. We have the Forbidden Poor that is coming up on Sunday, June the 25th. Tickets available, postwrestling.com slash live. We will be doing a live podcast at the Real Sports Bar right across the street from the Scotiabank Arena. Doors open at 3. And then once the pay-per-view is over, come on back across the street to Real Sports for the after party uh, with Braden Harrington, Davey Portman, Wei Ting, myself, the whole post crew. Meet Eric Marcotte in person so you can ask him his thoughts on this UFC pay-per-view in person and ask him his thoughts that many weeks later about uh Diana Belbita and uh Arena Aldana's performance you can see him in person and ask him about the fight night he is missing that night in lieu of professional wait this is sunday never mind you can ask him about the fight night from the night prior
1: no i'm going to be missing that one too I, I'm, I'm not going to toronto to watch the apex card no way
0: Well, there you go. Postwrestling.com slash live. And before we get out of here, one super chat we have. Jake, have you seen tough uh, this season so far yet? Well, Jake, uh, we talked about this. Saw the first episode and it's mind-boggling how this format has just not evolved since 2005. Yes, I watched the first episode. Not a very compelling show, but also not appealing to myself or Eric or probably anyone that is um, regularly consuming this product. But I would also say for a, a season with Conor McGregor built around it, it's not as those as doing blockbuster numbers either for ESPN. And it sort of seems that like the format is beyond tired at this point. And UFC has replaced the format in itself with contender series. So I don't even think that it's, there was a time and a place that this really was in the MMA zeitgeist. We are long past that period at this point. And I think it hurts the fact that no one knows when, or if this fight is happening with Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler, that they can't even promote on the show. It seems like it is still Way up in the air, and the idea of this fight not materializing is a real possibility.
1: Yeah, there are so many factors that make Tough uninteresting. You may not even get this big fight between Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler at the end of things, and we are so far past the point where the contest the contestants on Tough make up your best unsigned fighters in the world. Like that was the case once upon a time, if you look at the lineups that they had for the first few seasons of Tough, but at this point if you're somebody of note, you're either getting signed immediately or you're going through the contender series. You're not going through tough. So it's just that there is nothing about it that makes it worth watching. All right. Thanks everyone for joining us. Of course, keep it tuned
0: at postwrestling.com. We have WrestleNomics Radio coming out later today. And then Monday night, myself and Waiting are live with Rewind to Raw. A lot of big stuff coming up on the site. So stay tuned to that. That is it for us. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to our UFC 289 post show. It's time for Eric to go rewatch the card.